If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Praise be to God. Thankful that God has drawn us here today, and I'm thankful for everybody that's listening on a regular basis, wherever you are all over the world. Welcome you this morning. Good morning to you as well, too. Wherever you are, wherever you may be joining us today, wherever you're listening, and whenever you're listening, we join. thank you for joining us. And, uh, praise be to God, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. And the Lord is so faithful to help us through difficult times that we have. If we'll just rely on Him. We have to rely on Him. That's what He wants. He, you know, everybody knows that God can help. But instead of blaming God, are we relying on Him for help? Or are we just blaming Him? So we have to put our trust in God. Especially in difficult times, but it's easy to trust God when things are going well and things are going good, but it's hard to trust God when, of course, things are uncertain and unclear. So we just uh, thank be to God that we can put our trust in Him no matter when. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That just doesn't mean salvation from eternal hellfire and brimstone. That means it's salvation from every single thing that we're struggling with now. So if you guys want to join me for a word of prayer, and then we'll get to our title. And we'll get to our sermon and we'll start teaching. So if you want to join me, Lord, thank you for bringing us all here, Lord. Thank you for, Lord, everybody that's tuning in, Lord. And thank you for all the work that you're doing in my life and all your children's lives all over the world, Lord God. Because I know that you're working in all of our lives. Lord, your will, the Bible says, is our sanctification in Christ Jesus, Lord. You're, You're wanting to perfect us in our faith, Lord. And that's your desire, for us to be perfected in our faith. And of course, how do we get perfected in our faith unless we have struggles in our faith, Lord God? Because we're, like, we're almost like weightlifters, Lord, in, in the spiritual, Lord. Where we have to, things have to get tough, and then our faith has to kind of amp up. But if everything was always the same, and we always just kept lifting that 45-pound bar, we'd get really easy at lifting that 45-pound bar. But life is not easy. <clears throat> things get tough, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that our faith would grow stronger. In this message, Lord, and in our lives as we continue to trust in you, Lord, I pray you continue to make our faith stronger. Lord, I pray you bless this message, bless the hearers, and bless the doers, Lord. Bless all those that listen, Lord, and bless all those that ever listen to this message, Lord. I pray that you would impact people around the world with this message, Lord God, and just continue to bless them and encourage them in their daily walks with Christ. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. I just ask that you keep the enemy out of this message, Lord. Keep him out of our minds as we're thinking about you, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit reign in our hearts. May we give you the total reign in our hearts, dear God, as we continue to submit to you and your, your will every single day of our lives. <clears throat> Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So our title to today's message is verse 15. In our scripture today. So we're going to read real quick, 12 through 15, and then I'll 
you'll get the message, you'll get the title of the message in verse 15. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Matthew 11, still working our way on verse by verse through the Bible. This is where we are. This is all God gave me for this week, and it was enough. Boy, I'll tell you what. Verse came to my mind this week as I was studying for this message. The Bible says that the, that the apostles, that the disciples labored in the Word and the apostles' doctrine, and they labored in the Word, and I definitely labored in this Word this week as I studied over and God had to lead me hand and just lead me by the hand this whole week long as I studied this message. It was one of the most difficult messages I'm going to be teaching in all 53 or 54 now. So let's read it and then you'll understand why. Verse 12, Matthew 11. Jesus continues to go on and he says to the multitudes, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he, that is John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the title of our message today. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the reason I titled that this week's message mainly is because in this particular three verses here that we're reading today, are some of the, you know, in, in the Bible we have milk. The Bible talks about God's word being milk, and then there being meat. And then there's milk, which is the stuff that's easy to understand. You know, the stuff like Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he lived a sinless life and he died a death on the cross and then after three days he rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, that's, that's easy. That's, that's milk. I mean, that, anybody can drink that. Anybody can understand that. Anybody can get that. But then you have passages in the Bible like we've got this week that are not so easy to understand. And they're not so, you know, oh, that's what that means. Just, just quick, just like that. And, and so Jesus says this little verse 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because he's saying, be careful how you hear my word. Be careful what you think my word says. Because a lot of people think a lot of strange things about the Word of God. People have made up strange doctrines. I mean, for crying out loud, whole false religions have been built around the Word of God being twisted. The whole religions that millions and hundreds of millions of peoples in America and all over the world follow, all because they took one verse in the Bible and they twisted it to mean whatever it means. So this week, as I was reading over all these verses, these three or four verses here, I was really realizing, wow, this, these, are, these are not too easy this week. This is, this is meat of the word here. This is really, really, really difficult. So as I was praying and seeking the Lord, as I you know, start, kept reading and kept investigating this section of Scripture, God opened up some interesting uh, revelation to me about it. So we got a lot to cover. Um, Remember, Jesus is still talking to the multitudes. And remember, he makes that powerful statement in the end of verse 11, where he says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of men, of women, there has not been one, risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we, you know, we looked at that. Why? It looked, it looked like Jesus almost spoke evil of John the Baptist. You know, that the least in the kingdom of heaven was greater than John the Baptist. I mean, how, I mean, that, wow. I mean, that doesn't, doesn't even line up with everything Jesus just talked about because Jesus really, he just built up John. He, Jesus, every time he's ever talked about John, he's built up John. He said great things about John. John was a mighty man of God. And, you know, why did he say that? And we talked about how, you know, he wasn't insulting him or wasn't degrading. He was really just saying that, you know, because of what it costs me to get him there, to get you there, people, and, you know, how great and how glorious the kingdom of heaven really is. That's why John, even though he's the greatest up until, you know, up until then, up until now, he's nothing compared to those in the kingdom of heaven. Um, so I think, though, you know, obviously, here shortly after Jesus said that, because remember, John's disciples just came to him. Shortly after that, and then, you know, after Christ's death and resurrection, John got to go to heaven. 
So shortly after, John actually got to become a citizen of heaven. Shortly after Jesus said this about him. And, you know, in fact, I think John became one of the wealthiest people in heaven. Because remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, he said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and do not steal. And how do we store up our treasures in heaven? Well, of course, by trusting in and serving our great God and great King. There's the only other, there's no other way that you can build, you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because you certainly don't store up treasures by, you know, treasures in heaven by working 100 hours a week and dedicating your whole life to your job and giving God no glory and giving God no credit. That's just you're building your kingdom. You're not building God's kingdom. You're building your kingdom. So the only way <clears throat> to store up treasures in heaven is by serving and trusting in our great God and our great King. And with all the service and faith that John, you know, served toward God and had toward God, I really can't imagine that there since him has been anybody really greater in the kingdom of heaven than he. He's probably, in fact, you know, I remember Jesus said something about, you know, my father chooses the 12 that sit around me, you know, sit around him when we're in the kingdom of heaven. I would have to kind of think that maybe John the Baptist was one of those 12 sitting around God because I can't think of any other guy in all the scripture that was more dedicated and more sold out of a guy to, to God and Christ Jesus than John the Baptist. So I, I think soon to be, John got to be, or probably still is, one of the greatest, one of the most wealthiest people in the kingdom of heaven. And if we want, when we go to heaven, since, you know, it's not something we have to set our sights on, but it's something that God offered us, if we want to have great treasure in heaven, I think we ought to look at John the Baptist's life and and model our lives after his life because he was really never, ever, ever ashamed of Christ. I wish uh, in my 14 years of Christianity, I wish that I could say that I was as brave and as bold as John the Baptist was because I know I have rejected Jesus and some things that I've said and some things that I've done in my past 14 years. And I know I haven't been as bold as John the Baptist was in my faith for Christ. So I think it'd be a good thing if we modeled our lives after John the Baptist, and then we all get to be great and wealthy in the kingdom of heaven. So moving on to verse 12, difficult section of scripture. Let me read it again, <clears throat> and then we'll get through it. So Jesus says in verse 12, moving forward, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So, really easy to read this. If we were to just read this just as it was, <clears throat> and of course I'm an advocate of reading the Bible just as it is, but if we were to read this just and take the words for the English value of the English value of what they are, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is God's kingdom is being affected and harmed by mere man. But now, can that really be what Jesus is saying? I mean, <clears throat> is God greater than man? Absolutely, God is greater than man. Man is nothing compared to God. So we know 100% what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that mankind is affecting his kingdom or causing him stress or causing him strain. That, that is what he's not saying. He's not saying that violent people are attacking his kingdom. And, oh, no, I'm God Almighty in heaven. What do I do now? These people are attacking me. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, oh, Jesus or, or, or Michael the Archangel, can you, can you come and help me with these, with these people here? They're, they're really stressing me out here. We know definitely that God is not saying that in this verse. Believe it or not, what he does say, we're going to get into the meaning, actually backs up exactly what I said about John the Baptist being great and rich in the kingdom of heaven. You'll, you'll see in a minute. So this whole week as I labored in this doctrine, as I labored in this teaching, uh, as I told you earlier how I remembered you know, the Bible saying laboring in the word, I had to pray, and I had to seek God a lot for this week's section of Scripture. And uh, I prayed a lot and, and sook God a lot, 
and God led me to a parallel passage, uh, some Greek words that are real interesting we're going to look at, and I even had to, unfortunately, I had to go to a uh, Bible commentary, which, you know, they're not always accurate, but I went to a, a Bible commentary, and I believe that through God's guidance, we can actually get an accurate translation of what, this, what Jesus is actually saying to me here. So, what is Jesus saying? Let's, what he, let's look at it. To understand, look with me at two parallel passages. They're actually uh, one, they're both out of Luke. Two parallel scriptures that relate, two parallel sections of scripture that relate to this section. If you want to go to Luke chapter 7, well, you don't have to, but you can just listen to me read it along. You can go to Luke chapter 7, going to be in verse 28 and verse 29. It's actually the identical section of scripture. And as I read it, I'll kind of relate back to Matthew. But Luke, in the way God told him, added a little something that Matthew doesn't get here. And he adds it in verse 29. And I want you to notice with me as we read it, look at the amount of people that it talks about here. So Luke verse seven or chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 says, Jesus says, For I say to you, among those born of women... There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, remember what I just said, Matthew 11, verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So it's, remember I said it's the exact same parallel section of Scripture. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Remember, we just read that last week. That's verse 11 of Matthew 11. Luke adds this. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified him, or justify God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now notice verse 29, when all the people. What kind of picture do you get when you hear all the people? Is it a small number or is it a great number? It's a great number. All the people. Remember, at this point, Jesus has multitudes of people around him. That's thousands of people. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Remember, John came to bring a baptism of repentance. And all the tax collectors and the sinners and all the... like. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people came out to John and they were getting baptized by John in the River Jordan. And remember, that's when we have John's famous as saying, you know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come, kind of come out and, and they say, and he says, who, brood of vipers, you know, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? So they were in the minority and the majority of the people that were coming out to see him were all the sinful people of Jerusalem, all the people in Israel that realized I'm not living right for God because of John's preaching. And they came and they were getting baptized. So that's number one. Notice the amount of people was great. And notice it was all the tax collectors and the, the, all the people glorified God. So second parallel passage to this one is Luke 16. Be in verses 13 through 16. Luke 16, verse 13 through 16. Jesus is talking to, again, a multitude and... Of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are in there, and he says, <clears throat> he starts out, it's a little different, we'll get to the end, you'll see. I'm just giving you a context here. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, <clears throat> or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard him say these things. And they derided him. So they mocked him. They were, they were against him. Oh, come on, you Jesus. Oh, what are you talking about? Money's bad. Oh, that's, that's, that's bad. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say that money's bad, but the love of money is the root of many evils. But they, of course, loved money, as the, as the verse just said. They loved money. So what were they doing? They loved money. They derided him. So his response, verse 15, he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men, which we all know generally among men, what's highly esteemed is wealth and possessions and things like that. Those are very highly esteemed among you know, mankind because that's a fleshly things. 
For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now listen to this if this sounds familiar to you. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Now does that sound familiar about what we just read here? Verse 12 in Matthew 11. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the law and the prophets were until John, and that's actually in verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And Jesus goes on in 16, 16, Luke, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached. So we know what did John the Baptist do? He came and preached the kingdom of God, and everyone is pressing into it. Notice we have the amount again. Everyone. When you think of everyone, you don't think of just five or just six or just seven. You think of a mass amount of people. And that's what we saw in John the Baptist's ministry. We saw a mass amount of people getting baptized. Jesus testifies here in 1616 to Luke, and the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Well, looking at Matthew 11:12 and Luke 1616, 16, we specifically look at the two words in these two different verses in the Greek. So Matthew eleven twelve. 12, I'm going to pull out a word for you. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Okay, stop there. That word violence. Pick out that word violence. Luke 16, 16, Jesus again says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. The words violence and the word pressing are both the same word in the Greek. They're both biazo. And they're defined as to use force, to apply force, to force, inflict violence on. Now remember, and everyone is pressing into it. Definition, or word, biazo to use force, to apply force, to force, inflict violence on. But hold on, I'll put it together in a minute. Let's go to the violent. Who were the violent? Because here in Matthew eleven twelve 12, it says uh, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Who are they? What about the violent? It's actually a derivative. It's a Greek word, it's a derivative. The Greek word for violent is biastes, and the definition of this word is strong, forceful, or using force, or violent. So the violent were actually just really strong, forceful, using force. You could say, again, violent, because that's what kind of violence is. That's what you're doing when you're being violent. You're using force. So putting this section together, putting this verse together so we can accurately know what, it really, what Jesus was really trying to say here, putting together these three sections of Scripture and the definitions of these words, because the Greek just fits wonderfully here. I love the Greek here. When we can go back to that root language and really get the definition, really makes the difference. Let me translate it a little easier. That way we can understand what Jesus is trying to say. Verse 12, putting these three together. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has had a tremendous, remember how we talked about the amount that was really glorifying God, all the people, all the multitudes, has had a tremendous amount of strong-willed people using much force to push into it. So Jesus was saying, until from the days of John until now, he wasn't talking about before the days of John, and he wasn't talking about after the days of John. He was talking about from John until now, when John was preaching, many people were getting into the, king, the kingdom of God. Many people were forcing their way in. Why were they forcing their way in? Because of John's preaching. John was a fiery preacher. John was a powerful man of God. He was a fiery preacher. He showed people that God was not fooling around when it came to their sin and that they needed to turn away from lives that they lived that were all about themselves and turn to God and start living lives that were all about Him. And as a result of John's powerful preaching and his dedicated life to God and God's Christ, we hear Luke 16, 
where we learn that multitudes of people were turning to God in mass numbers and getting to become citizens of heaven someday. And from the days of John until now, many people are excited and they're forcing their way and I can't, no, I got, no, no, me. I want to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven. You ever been to a before Christmas sale or after Thanksgiving sale when, when a whole bunch of people are trying to fight to get into the store to get that one deal, that one, that one $5 uh, uh, comb that you know retails for $30 or something. You ever seen those people trying to get in to the store? They're fighting. They're getting, they're, and yes, they're, they're violent. And that was the picture that Jesus is trying to paint from the days until John until now. Violent people, people that were using for, no, me. No, I want to get into heaven. No, no, me. No, 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 me. But we can almost have read it the wrong way. But God led me to those Greek words. I just thank God for all his guidance. But remember what I said earlier about John being, you know, having a lot of treasure when he got to heaven. I said I'd show you that later. Well, right there, because of his preaching, multitudes of people got to become citizens of heaven. Remember what I said, John was great and John was wealthy in the kingdom of heaven. Well, we see it here right out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew eleven twelve 12 and Luke 16, 16. Praise God. Yet another, another instance where Jesus did what? Built up the man of God that was John the Baptist. Remember I just said, if we wanted to have great treasure in heaven, if we wanted to be great men and women of God, what do we do? Pattern our lives after John the Baptist. Jesus never said anything bad about John the Baptist. Jesus was always building up John the Baptist. He was always building him up. So, awesome testimony about Jesus. Awesome translation of the verse moving forward because we have to move on. Verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. There's actually two huge gems here. We're going to break them down one by one. First gem. What did Jesus mean by the prophets prophesied until John? Well, the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament all prophesied of the coming of the Mashiach or the Messiah. That's what they all did. All the prophets of old before John, they prophesied until John. They prophesied until the Christ. They prophesied of the Christ. But John was a little different. He was still considered a biblical prophet, but really what he was, was John was a proclaimer. What did he proclaim? He didn't have to prophesy the coming Christ anymore, because guess what? The Christ was now here. So what was John more than a prophet? John came to proclaim. Remember, he was the forerunner. He was the one saying, hey, he's here. Hey, Israel. Hey, Israel. Hey, Jews. God's chosen people. Hey, hey, the Christ. He's here. He's here now. The one, the Christ, the Savior of the world. He's arrived. He's not coming no more. He's here now. Jesus said all the prophets prophesied until John. Then John's really, he was a prophet because he did prophesy, but he was really a proclaimer. He proclaimed that Christ was here. No more need of prophecy of the one to come that brought the new covenant. Jesus had arrived and was about to become the mediator of the new and better covenant, as in Hebrews 12 speaks, Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of of sprinkling that speaks better than the things than those that were of Abel. And God also spoke of this new covenant by the mouth of Jeremiah in the 31st chapter, verses 31 and 33, where God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers as in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write, on, and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So powerful prophecy that foretold the end of the old covenant, because remember, the one, the Christ, was going to bring in the new covenant, as we just read. So the prophets prophesied until John. The prophets prophesied about how Christ was going to change the law. They prophesied about the new, about the Christ that was going to come. The change, the law, wasn't going to be about law anymore. It was going to be about grace that God made with man. And the new one was now to come. So and I, I just thank God 
for the new covenant because now we're not sanctified. Now we're not set apart. Now we're not, now we're not made holy by the blood of goats and rams and bulls, which we never were anyway. They were just a covering of our sin. Jesus Christ came as the mediator of a new covenant that came to wipe away our sins. He came to declare a new covenant that God made with man. The new covenant that he proclaimed when he had, uh, <clears throat> when, he, when he gave the last supper, when he said, this is the new covenant which I give in my blood. Amen. But wait a minute. I knew about all the prophets that prophesied until John. But Jesus also says here that the law prophesied until John, until the one he came. What did he mean that the law, how could the law, I mean a prophet, that's a prophet, that's a man or a woman, they got a mouth. But how can a law prophesy until John? How could the law, the written word of God, the law that God gave, how could that prophesy until John? Well, that's our second gem. Yes, the law, the Bible says, also prophesied until John came or until Christ came. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Well, what is a prophet? What is a prophet? A prophet is something that, someone that talks about something to come. The, Hebrews 10 there says that the law was a shadow. What's the shadow? The shadow is just the offcast of the greater thing. The shadow, if you look at your shadow on the sidewalk, is that you? No, that's not you. The shadow is just the shadow of the sun off of the greater, off the greater that lands on, on the sidewalk. It's the, it's the it, you stand, the light hits you, then as your shadow hits the ground, that shadow is not you though. So the law was just a shadow of good things to come. So there, the law is prophesying of the one greater to come. It's talking about the one great, hey, this is just a shadow. I'm just a shadow because you know what? Even God said, you know, the people, they knew. They knew it wouldn't take away their sin. It was just a covering. The law could never take away sins. It, was, it could never save anybody. The law was just a shadow. And he, and he goes on to say, it's just a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the thing can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sins of people. So God had to make a new covenant with man. He had to. Because Jeremiah, we go back to that again, Jeremiah 31, 32, God says, My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. And Hebrews 8, 7, For that first covenant, has, if it had been faultless, then there would be no place, there would have been no, then no place would have been sought for a second one. So the reason that the covenant couldn't last is because the people couldn't keep it. The same is today. Nobody can keep the law. Nobody can keep the whole of the law. And James tells us that if we even break one of the least of all of God's commandments, we're guilty of them all. So if we even today try to live by the law for our salvation, if we try to live by the law of God, we can't get saved. Because nobody can keep the whole of the law. Galatians 3, 23-24. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, <clears throat> kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. So the law was our tutor. The law was never our savior. The law was our tutor because when what would happen, just like today, when people try to live their lives and be righteous and be sanctified by God, by the law, what happens is we find that we can't keep it. We can't keep it. We can't keep 100% of the law. We fall short. We fail. So then what happens when we fail in the law? Oh, no, I blew it again. Oh, I just can't keep it. And remember, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to destroy the law of the prophets, but to, for, to fulfill them. What does it mean to fulfill but to cap them off? 
They were incomplete. They were incomplete. Nobody could get saved by them. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He capped them off. He came to end them. He is the law and the prophets. Now, it's by him, everything by him, not by us, not by the law, but by him, but by what he did. He was the fulfillment. He finished it because it was incomplete. It was imperfect. Amen. Verse 14, moving forward. And Jesus says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Wow. He said a mouthful there. And what he said has led to so much confusion in the Christian faith. So many people have been confused about this section of Scripture because it almost sounds like Jesus is preaching, like he's almost preaching reincarnation. But is he preaching reincarnation? Is John the Baptist really Elijah? And is Elijah John the Baptist? Well, let's start off. What does he say first? And if you are willing to receive it. He's saying, if you're willing to accept <clears throat> what I say to you now. Because he knew that what he said was going to be hard for people to accept. If you are willing. If you are willing to accept or, you know, what I tell you, because what I tell you is going to be hard. You may not accept it because it is hard to believe. But John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. And that is what he said. And can we take him at what he said? Absolutely. A lot of people say you can't, but we can take Jesus for exactly what he said. So let's first look at what he did not say. Let's look at what Jesus did not say about John and Elijah. He is not saying that John the Baptist and Elijah are the same man. Elijah was a man that lived probably a couple thousand years or 1,500 years before Christ or John the Baptist was ever born. Elijah was also a mighty man of God. He also had a ministry of reconciliation. He also called people, they were Israelites, Jewish people, back to God, back to Jehovah, back to God Almighty. He, at one point, he challenged 400 prophets of Baal who were at that point, he called down fire from heaven by God and he consumed, you know, his offering, the fire of God consumed his offering. John, and John the Baptist also, another mighty man of God. He preached in the wilderness and thousands and, and, and tens of thousands of Jewish people, tens of thousands of people came into his ministry and got baptized and got right with God. He had, they had a very much of the same type of ministry. But he's still not saying that they're the same person. How do we know? <clears throat> if that was the case, Jesus, like I said earlier, would have been preaching reincarnation. What is reincarnation? Reincarnation teaches the belief that the soul upon death of the body comes back to earth in another body or in another form. Now, do we see that in the Bible? Does the Bible teach that one soul can leave one body and come back into another body and become another person? Well, that would go completely against Hebrews 9.27, where God says, it is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. And upon that judgment, whatever your judgment is, the Bible says that you either inherit an eternity and heaven with God forever or an eternity in hell with the devil and his angels that'll be there forever. There's no, I get judged and I got worthy. I get to go back and have a second life. There's no such thing that's not in the Bible. We don't read that at all. The Bible says judgment, heaven, hell, final. That's it. We also have John's testimony to some religious leaders question in John, in the gospel of John, chapter 1, 19 through 21. Where, it's, where the Bible records. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? That's a good question. Who are you? After all, people just think here that Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah, who is to come. They, it sounds like Jesus just said he was that real guy, Elijah, that lived before and the one that's going to come back. So they ask him, who are you? And he confessed, John the Baptist confessed, I did and did not deny, but confess, I am not the Christ. Okay, so that's good, because they were thinking, some people were thinking that he was the Messiah, because he was such an awesome preacher. <clears throat> so, they said, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. I am not. They said, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
John's not a liar. He was a great man of God. They said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said, and then who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? So John answers them in the next verse. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He quotes the parallel verse to Malachi 3.1, where God says in Malachi, speaking of the end, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the anointed one, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So <clears throat> he was the one to come before. He simply tells them he is the forerunner. He's the forerunner to the first coming of the Christ, not the prophet, not Elijah, coming before the second return of Christ. So what is Jesus telling them? He's telling them that John is Elijah, but there's an important part that we can't leave out. We can't leave it out, the part that helps us understand what Jesus is saying. In Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and he tells him, that he, and he tells him, his wife, him and his wife Elizabeth, that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby, and his name's going to be John. Then Gabriel says in Luke 1, 15 through 17, he says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go also before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So there in verse 17, he will also go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So that is true. By God sending John to the people in the spirit and power of Elijah, he gave John the Baptist the same qualities and he gave John the Baptist the same characteristics. <laughs> as Elijah had. As I said earlier, if you look at the ministries of these two guys, they had the same effects, they had the same qualities. <clears throat> they, offered in the same, they operated in the same power and passion in preaching and turning the hearts of the people back to God. They were even alike in their dress. John the Baptist and Elijah dressed very similarly. See Matthew 3, 4 for John the Baptist and 2 Kings 1, 8 for Elijah. You see that they even dressed very similarly, John the Baptist and Elijah did. But they were not the same person. They were not the same identical person because then the Bible would teach reincarnation. And we know that that is not correct. Plus, John himself said, no, I am not Elijah. But here Jesus does say that Elijah will come. What is he saying? He's speaking of a future event. He's speaking of a future event. Elijah will come back. Jesus is referring to a prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, where God says of Elijah, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This great and dreadful day of the Lord that God speaks of in Malachi is around the end of the world, when during that time Christ comes back for his second coming, to judge the earth and those in it and put an end to sin and death. We know that this coming of Christ was not the great and dreadful day of the Lord. How do we know that? How do we know that? We know that because in Luke 4.19, Jesus is teaching and that he says that he, has, that he was here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he was not here for the great and dreadful day that will be the end of all mankind, to be the all end of all humanity. He was here now this time in his first coming to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, unlike Malachi 4.5. So Elijah will be coming back before that day. And I believe that that will be a fulfillment of what Christ says here because... I believe that Elijah is spoken of in Revelation 11.3 where we read God tell us that there will be two witnesses that will come for a prescribed amount of time <clears throat> at the end that they're going to come during the tribulation and they're going to give a testimony about God. But he doesn't name those two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He just says that there's going to be two witnesses to come back. 
I believe that Elijah will be one of those witnesses that come back. And you say, but Ed, but Ed wait a minute, that, that's still like reincarnation, wouldn't it be? Because Elijah's going to come back. Well, no, there's a key that we can, can easily leave out. We can easily forget if we forget our Bibles. But the fact that Elijah never died meant, means that his body never suffered corruption. His body never suffered death. And far be it from God, if he holds Elijah's body somewhere, while Elijah's spirit, because we know that no man in the flesh could see God, so we know Elijah couldn't have gone into heaven because God took him up with a chariot of fire with horses, that he went into heaven with this chariot of fire and horses. And so we know that no human being in the flesh can go into heaven to be with God. But certainly Elijah could have been separated from his body and Elijah can easily come back in that same body because that body never died. So I believe that Elijah is one of the prophets to come back in, in Revelation 11.3. So Jesus is saying, look at the way John is teaching. Look at the way John the Baptist, look at how he's ministry. Look at what he did. <clears throat> because when the end comes, when he comes back, he's going to bring a very powerful testimony. And he's going to come back. He's going to be there again. He is to come. Praise God. Verse 15, last verse. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is our closing verse of today. Jesus tells the multitudes, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In essence, as a roundabout, <clears throat> the saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, means be careful how you hear the word of God. Be careful with what ears that you hear what I'm teaching you today. Be careful of what I'm teaching you. And specifically, though, Jesus always used this saying, because he used it many times in the New Testament. He used this saying to refer, after he said very hard sayings that he taught. Jesus used this saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why would he always use it after difficult sayings? Well, just like me, when I read this verse over, just like when I read this section of scripture over this week, just like these guys then, I had no idea <clears throat> what Jesus was really saying. And if I, who I know God has given me his Holy Spirit, and I know I'm a supernatural being now, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, and I'm a new man, and I can understand spiritual things of the Bible, unlike people that aren't spiritually discerned, understand things about the Bible. And if I couldn't get it, I know these people who were definitely not born again couldn't get it. <clears throat> Why would Jesus have said it always after hard sayings? Why would he have said it here after this very hard saying? I believe he said it mainly here because of Matthew 7, 7, 7, 8. Jesus says, those who seek shall find. Jesus says, seek and you shall find. And that he who seeks shall find. Jesus says this to the multitudes. Why? <clears throat> he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you are really interested in the things that I said, then you can seek the understanding to them. Then you need to seek the understanding to them. And God will give it to you. Because again, the multitudes definitely didn't understand what he was saying. But Jesus was saying a whole bunch here. And he wanted them to think about what he was saying. And then, you know, what is he saying? And if they would have sought the Lord in prayer, or if they would have dug deep into the Old Testament scriptures, where Malachi and Isaiah were, where all the prophets spoke of these things, then they would have found the answers to what he just said, just like I did to this week. Because this whole week, as I said earlier, I had to do a lot of seeking, a lot of praying for answers. And I had to be diligent to ask God and seek the Lord for wisdom on these verses because I did not understand. But guess what? He helped me to understand because the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. So I asked God and he helped me understand what I was learning this week. So notice Jesus also said this right at the point when he talked about a lot, John being Elijah, who is to come, which is confusing again. But remember, John being Elijah, who is to come, that coming meant his last coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You know, hint, hint. Hey, guys. He has ears to hear. Let him hear. I'm talking about the end. I'm talking about the end of all things. Hey, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to understand what I'm saying to you. This, this is very important, guys. Wake up. Hello. I'm speaking about the end. Jesus wanted them to think about the great and dreadful day of the Lord and their lives. Because many of these disciples that were around Jesus were considered disciples, but they weren't part of the twelve, and many of them didn't make it. They actually ended up turning away from Christ in John. When Jesus spoke some hard things, a whole bunch of people just turned away from Jesus at that point. So in closing to you, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to ask everyone who's listening to me today to think about this as well for your lives. We spoke today about how there's going to be a great and dreadful day of the Lord. Where will you stand on that great and dreadful day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back to judge the earth and all those who are in it, dead and alive? The Bible says he's coming back to judge the quick and the dead. The quick, those that are alive. The dead, those that have already been buried for a long time. Paul speaks of this terrible day when Christ comes back in his second coming in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, where he says, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verses 9, he says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, in that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He is coming back soon, very soon. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know God today? Do you know God? Not know of God. Do you know him like a man knows his wife? Do you know him intimately? I don't mean, do you know some great statistics about him? Like, you know, people know a lot about Michael Jordan. Oh, I know Michael Jordan, man. He was a great scorer and, you know, he won X amount of NBA championships and, and he was, you know, great with the moves and he did a lot of things and he won this and he did that. And you know a lot of things about Michael Jordan, but very few people that are hearing me talk actually know Michael Jordan in a personal way. And that's what Jesus, that's what John was, that was what Paul was talking about in Thessalonians. For those who do not know God. And do you obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I ask all, everyone that's listening, please seek the Lord and ask him if you are right with him and make sure for sure, make sure for sure, the Bible talks about make your calling and election a sureness. Make it a, a for sure and make sure you're sure for sure. Seek the Lord. Examine yourself and seek the Lord. Am I sure for sure? <clears throat> That when Christ comes back in that great and terrible day of the Lord, that dreadful day of the Lord, in flaming fire, he's not coming to play anymore. Jesus is not coming to be the baby in the manger anymore. He's not coming to, to you know, speak love and, and, and passion and, oh, everyone come to me, all you who are weak and you are her weary. He's not coming for that no more. He's coming in flaming fire. And what is he doing? He's not talking about, oh, I love you so much. Because when he comes back, people for thousands of years have had a chance to accept that message. Now he's coming back to take vengeance on those who do not know God and do not, who do, are those that do not obey, not the law, not the Ten Commandments, not anything, but who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's what he did for you, and it's how you respond to him with your life. He loved you, and he came, and he died for your sins, and then he rose again the third day to take all your sins upon himself and to die for all your sins, and then to beat death. He destroyed death when he descended into Abraham's bosom, into Sheol, into hell. And then he rose again, defeating death. 
so that all those who come to him, all those who repent, I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. And that's really the gospel. The gospel is what he did for you and how you respond to what he did for you. How do you respond to what he did for you? Are you obeying the gospel? Are you obeying what he did for you and then turning your life to him? Surrendering to Jesus Christ as your Lord. Not just turning and keeping some laws or keeping and, and doing this or doing it. That works. But are you surrendering to Christ for what he did for you? And is he the fulfillment of the law and the prophets to you? Please seek the Lord and ask him if you are for sure, for sure, um, I am going to be in right standing with you when you come back. Am I in right standing with you right now? God, please tell me, am I in right standing with, for, with you right now? And then you seek him in his word. Am I right with you right now? Let me go to your word. Your word, the word is like our compass. See, we got to all be going north. Heaven's up. North is up, straight up. Are we all going north? If you're going northeast, you're not good. If you're going northwest, you're not good. If you're going south, southeast, or south, you're definitely not good. Are we all going north? Are we all headed? Are we all headed there? Please, for yourself, make sure. You're sure, you're sure, you're sure. Not because of a good feeling but because your life lines up against the biblical definition of what a Christian should be. Because your life is surrendered unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you sure for sure? Because if you're not sure for sure, then I'm scared for you. Because he will come back, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and to, not, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was calling out here, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because he wanted them to think about that same day. Where am I standing with God right now? Where will I stand with God on that great and dreadful day of the Lord? Examine yourself, please. And if you find that you're not, fall on your knees, cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, and surrender unto him and stop living for you and start living for God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for all the understanding that you gave this week. Thank you for all the wisdom, Lord God, that you give. Lord, because it is only you that gives this wisdom, Lord. I'm, I know nothing. Lord, I am so helpless. <laughs> Me and my brother were talking about it this week, Lord, and we were traveling to a place we'd never been before. I'd never been before. And I was like, Lord, I, I, we don't know where we're going. But yeah, I had this device in my hand that helped me to know where to go. This little GPS thing in my hand that helped me know where to go. And this little GPS told me, take a left here and take a right here. And oh, go straight or oh, merge on the highway at this point. And, and by that little device, we got home. And Lord, we, we, we compared it. We paralleled it to, you showed me how the Bible... The Bible is our like compass. The Bible is our device because not one person knows where to go. Not one person is, is found here. Everybody's lost on this earth. We all are wandering. We all don't know where to go. We're, this world is darkness. Jesus said, walk with me while the light is still here because he was the light. He said, because when I leave, darkness will be and there is darkness to this day, Lord. And we're all in darkness, Lord, unless we go to the device that helps us see the right way to go. Unless we go to your word, unless we go to that device which gives us the directions that we need to get home. Because everybody's home should be in heaven. That's what you want. I just pray, God in heaven, that People today, even after they listen to this, and people today, wherever they are, Lord, I pray you go to them, and I pray you'd help them get this device, Lord, and I pray that they would be able to look in this device and see the way home, that they would follow it and not veer from its path. I pray, dear God, people will come to know the saving love of Jesus Christ and respond to the saving love of Jesus Christ, not just know it. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. 
Lord, if we just get your wisdom and then we just go on another path and we just don't use that wisdom, then, then we're being foolish. And if we, if we don't make a right and make a left, we're gonna, and we're trying to go toward California, we're going to end up in Maine when we wanted to go to California. God, help the people that are listening, help the people of this world find this device and, and cling to this device and use it as their directions home. I love you and I praise you, dear God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.